Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Leadership podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk and today I will speak with Kane. Kane is the founder and president of Industry Rockstar, a global publishing and portfolio investment company that helps businesses thrive and grow. Kane is a best-selling author of Industry Rockstar, becoming a highly paid, high-profile person in your industry. Received of the International Brand Lawrence Award, previously given to Steve Jobs, Hillary Clinton, and Mark Zuckerberg. In the podcast, we will talk about the connection between growing your business, being a leader, and developing and evolving as a human being. So stay with us. Pleasure to be with you, here with you. I know that you have your a company with Alessia, your wife, right? You have a yes. company called Industry Rockstar. That's it. Which, which specializes in mentoring and training business owners to accelerate their business. Yes. However, you combine this with two decades of advanced human potential studies. So yes. it's really interesting. And I also, I know your work, so I really like your energy and enthusiasm you bring into your work so it's amazing and I see the connection you know I'm really curious to you how do you see the connection between human potential and succeeding in leading and growing successful businesses so sure so uh, first of all thank you for having me Karen it's always great to have uh, deep discussions on these topics so I appreciate it and um, yeah so I, I guess the best way to explain how we arrived at what we do is to give a little bit of the the history but I'll do it sort of hopefully in an entertaining way it actually starts when I was born in fact <laughs> the story uh, starts when I was born <laughs> it, always starts there, huh? it always starts there right um, but actually uh, because I'm the the youngest of three children my older sister who who's seven years older than me, who actually is, is now one of the heads of the divisions at Industry Rockstars and, and one of the largest global advising companies for conscious businesses, small businesses, micro businesses. So she she juggles a lot. We juggle a lot at the company. Um, and when, when she was seven and I was born, she got diagnosed with learning disabilities from her school. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, we had very limited understanding of, uh, you know, education and children's brains. And, you know, it's just, we were just, this was in the 70s. So she, it was kind of just coming online where we were starting to look at human Human potential and how to individualize people's growth and their human development and their brains and and then also cater to them because prior to that it was really very much here's the system you go through the system follow the school system it works and if you can't follow the school system there's something wrong with you and uh, therefore you know you, you have to go for some special therapies or things like that now they give you Ritalin yeah exactly exactly now they now they drug up the kids they say well <laughs> now they're they're too uh they're too hyper or they can't focus or so now we need to give them medicines and drugs right yeah. it, it's really quite a mess and in fact our children are all they're all homeschooled we have three and uh from 11 years old to six years old and an 18 month old the, the youngest of course is not so much in school but the the older two are and so we so i grew up in an environment where we really scrutinized um, education, the school, and um, human development. So it turned out that in order to help my sister, um, my father, who had nothing to do with education or human development, but was just a very concerned father, um, ended up researching how children's brains develop in order to help my sister develop as much as possible. 
And what he stumbled across was a lot of research. He ended up talking to a lot of psychologists, a lot of therapists, a lot of educators, a lot of uh, mind experts, um, human potential experts at the time, which really in the 70s, uh, it was just kind of getting going in the States with the whole movement of the human potential movement. Anyway, so he, he got very deep into that. And he ended up creating a process that helps uh, parents analyze their children and their learning preferences, and then match them to learning products, toys, books, games, materials all over the world that would help them accelerate their potential as much as possible. He ended up patenting it, you know, securing the patent and, and had that patent for, I think, two or three decades, um, and then created a business around it called Kids, Dads, Moms. And that business was all about having parents understand how to develop their children's brains at the highest levels. Okay, so that that happened, you know, in probably the first couple of years of my life because she got diagnosed at seven. I was being born. And then he went on this journey. And within a couple of years, he developed this whole concept and framework and system. And it was great. It was beautiful. So I became a guinea pig. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, I was getting tried. So I was getting trialed on all of these systems and techniques and processes and all these toys and books and games. I used to go visit toy fairs and, and educational fairs all over the world and see all the latest and greatest and coolest stuff going on. Then they would buy it all uh, yeah. for their company and they'd come back and they would test me on it. So this is why I'm, I'm so weird, basically, and, <laughs> and kind of, you know, screwed up. I mean, and unique. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for that reframe. <laughs> unique. Right. And my parents worked on really testing this, this process on me. And, you know, look, it was good and it was fun. And, and I definitely excelled because I just, it was just my life. My life was just constantly playing Mensa games and playing all sorts of games that were years ahead. And they, they didn't believe in this process that, you know, the way the school was developing children was the right process. So they, they were testing, what if you give a, you know, a one-year-old, a five-year-old toy? Uh, what if you give a, a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, or a ten-year-old, uh, you know, idea? And of course, because I was the youngest born, they were also testing that idea on if you have a young child but they have older siblings, how come they develop so quickly? Well, they're able to model, you know, more advanced behaviors and things. So, so anyway, so they 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 just kind of used me in like a laboratory. By the time I was nine years old, they had me at a university. I was taking university uh, classes. I mean, not, hey. not not you know not like physics and things, but you know, I was doing creative writing, and they had me in in Northwestern University where I grew up in the city of Chicago, and I would take. On Saturdays, I would go there and take, you know, college level enrichment courses. And it was kind of, you know, it was a bunch of us, you know, young kids who were all weird, you know, crazy geeks. Now, now everybody's wondering what I look like if they're watching the podcast. They're like, this guy must be having a pocket protector and glasses. So I, I had to fight against that a little bit. And uh, the funny thing is the opposite side of my life was I was a musician um, and I loved music. And uh, funny enough, my, my father was a singer when he was young and he used to sing uh, in the temple. He used to sing for weddings and he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, it was his love. Right. But he pursued uh, finances. So he kind of left it behind, but I picked it up and I loved it. I became a singer and a piano player. and all. This. So I had this very, very two dichotomies to my life. One very academic and very left brain, logical, you know, all these games and chess and all this. And then I had the other side, which was this very creative musical side. And I think that's one of the things that kept me sane with all the craziness that was going on and all the testing that my parents were doing on these games and all these activities was to really have this balance. And so that, that became a foundation for what we do at Industry Rockstar, which is creating a balance for development of a holistic mind, not just being super smart in reading, not just being super smart in math or to advance it into the, the entrepreneurship realm, not just being great with strategies, but also to have a holistic, a creative side, an innovative side, a dreamy side so that we put it all together. So 
to fast forward, I started getting into human potential work in my teenage years. Um, I started going to all the human potential seminars and and not just the not just the pop culture stuff like like a Tony Robbins, who is great. And I've actually toured with him for years. And he's a lovely and, and brilliant uh, gentleman, but also much deeper stuff, you know, deep, deep stuff like Avatar, Landmark Hoffman, you know, Gestalt stuff, you know, Course in Miracles, uh, Demartini's work, Ken Wilber's work. Like I just went deep into it from the time I was a teenager. Um, and I was into it for about 20 years while I was running other companies. And what I learned from my mentors is that uh, your company is a reflection of you. And mm -hmm. so at the end of the day, with all that development and potential, there was no chance I was going to work for somebody because um, although that can be a, maybe a nice route for some people, I didn't feel that that was a route to continue to expand and evolve at the highest level. Why have somebody else set my structures? Why have somebody else tell me what to do? what I'm going to earn uh, when I get time off for holiday, when I have to be in in the morning. I wanted to do it based upon the optimization of my life. And for example, I love to be up late working and I love to sleep in in the morning, which is very complex with three children who get up at 536 in the morning. <laughs> We're kind of constantly sleep deprived around here. But, you know, I started, you know, I learned very early on that you optimize your life around your brain and your abilities. So that's what I did. And by 16 years old, I was performing as a musician all over, you know, actually by 13, but by 16, it got good. And I started performing all over. I became a record producer and I just started running all of my own engagements, all of my own uh, mind services, all of my own companies and everything. By the time I was 20 years old, I had my first media company. Company. And then my 20s, I got a bunch of mentors and coaches that really helped me become extraordinary in business. And again, I really understood that if you want to grow and evolve, you have to have people around you. You have to have advisors, mentors, you have to have sounding boards, you have to have mirrors, uh, you have to have reflectors and trained ones and excellent ones and accomplished ones are the best to have. So in my 20s, I started about 24 different companies uh, with different talents, services, products, B2B, B2C. By the time I was 29 years old, I was retired. And I started teaching others both from the side of what do you do in business and who are you in business? So that, that hopefully gives you a little bit of the background. And so it's really exciting to hear because this is what I felt when I listened to you. It sounds like you really went through a transformation. All the courses that you went through, it's not only learning techniques, but you transformed yourself. And beyond that, the agile mind, the ability to learn and be humble and to know that you need to continue learning and listening to others. I think this is the crucial trait that I see that leaders need to see you as an inspiration to implement in the day to day, not only to look at the business, but to look with inside the himself, right? Because also I agree with you and I company leaders, this is what I'm telling them. You know, this is my assumption that the company, it's a reflection of the leaders. Absolutely. The, the company is a reflection of the CEO, mm -hmm. the person running it. Now in a, in a small business or a solopreneur, a, a micro business, that could just be the owner. So the owner is running it. They're calling all the shots. They're doing everything. And so that business is a reflection of them. In a larger business uh, where we, you know, we coach Fortune 500 companies on achievement and uh, and strategy and all that, you know, all, all facets. Then it becomes the CEO who's reflecting into the culture. And that culture is really a reflection of them, their ideas, their values, their visions, their missions. They, they're, they're captain of the ship, uh, man or woman, and, and they are going to reflect themselves into the culture of the company, which is going to drive the company. So it is absolutely critical for leaders to understand who they are along with their great strategies, right? And some of the, the larger corporations, we coach Fortune 500 companies, they actually don't tend to ask us strategic questions. They may want to know some of the cutting edge stuff that we're learning in marketing. Because we now, I mean, we have about 80,000 business owners come through our 
training programs a year. We've mm-hmm. had 3 million over the last 15 years. And so we get to see a lot, right? And from right. you know larger businesses to smaller businesses. But when you get into bigger businesses that have bigger budgets, they typically hire in great people. They're MBAs and they're PhDs and they're you know scientists and they're experts and they have all the specialists you know from Harvard and Stanford and you know Tel Aviv and from you know Sweden. They can bring them all in. What they look to us for is to understand how come they're not achieving what they want to achieve with all of that incredible brain power. And the smart leaders understand there's a, another dimension to achievement, which is not just knowing what to do, but it's how you're approaching what to do and how you're executing on what to do. And that becomes a human being component. That's why I love I love advising, I love coaching, I love mentoring because the human being is the most complex thing on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, emotionally and physiologically and you know psychologically and you know helping somebody achieve the highest potential that they can, especially in an organization or in a system, then it gets even more complex. Now you get all sorts of people affecting the system and dynamics going on between people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, solopreneur businesses are much easier because it's just one person. And yeah. so they're already nutballs themselves. That's what we do as, you know, as, as business owners. But then when you get into a system like a corporate system, you got all sorts of dynamics. You've got all sorts of, you know, fears and doubts and, and you've got hierarchies going on and all sorts of complex stuff. And human beings are just simply not prepared. Nobody's trained in that stuff in school. School has absolutely let us down in terms of evolution. I'm, I'm talking from elementary school all the way to the universities. And, you know, teachers do the best jobs they can and organizations do the best job they can. But it has absolutely let us down. And so we have never been prepared for the complexities of life. Um, right now, what we can see is that life is more complex than it ever has been. The curve of complexity of humanity and life has exponentially grown in the last 50 years. And we, our schooling systems, our educational systems, our training systems have not paced the exponential curve. So human beings are simply overwhelmed. They're simply, they don't, they don't know what to do. And they either go numb or they do the best they can. And they just kind of, they, a lot of them just, they just accept they get resigned to whatever is happening, whatever results they get is going to be the best they can do. And human potential experts and people like us who have studied human beings, you know, I'm 42 and I've been, I, I like to say I've been studying them since I was in the womb because, you know, this is, this has been going on in my family since I was born. We have seen everything you could possibly think of. And we understand that there is no limit on one's ability to achieve, to lead, to influence, to impact. There is always a higher level that one can go to. First of all, I agree with you about the education system. This is why my kids are in the democratic school, but we won't open it to you. <laughs> because I really believe that the main thing we need to teach our kids is to connect to themselves, to respect mm. themselves and others, to show mm-hmm. up, to manage themselves, right? Mm-hmm. To be compassionate toward themselves and others. And this we don't learn, and unfortunately, the regular school. Well, the, the things you just said, connection, compassion, like these are topics that are so important and so deep. We were recently, my wife and I, you know, we're not, we're not big TV watchers. In fact, we didn't even have a TV till about two years ago in the house. <laughs> Gotta have it. We don't actually have television. We have, we just, you know, we just watch Netflix or, or movies and things. And even then we struggle to see something, you know, high quality, but we actually watched a Brene Brown speech Amazing. on vulnerable vulnerability. She's wonderful. She's just great. If, if any listeners have never been touched by Brene's work, you should just go watch it. She's, or go listen to her. She's great. But, you know, she spent, uh, you know, 90 minutes uh, on just the topic of vulnerability and we could have talked about it for days, right? She fills up. Uh, you know, a whole theater, two, 3,000 people where they're listening to her. And that's how we are too. We'll have, we'll do a stadium of 15,000 people, 10,000 people where we will share about the, the ideas of who we're being as leaders and business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, our focus is really on entrepreneurship because I feel like that's the biggest game one can take on to evolve oneself. And there's many, there's little games in there like speaking and presenting. 
as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to give interviews like, like this one, for example, um, or media, or you have to be willing to get on camera today or deliver webinars. All of these things require such an evolution of relationship to oneself and to others that it is, I think, the biggest game you can take on. So we focus on that game and helping others evolve. And we like to say, although we've been doing it ourselves you know, for several decades, we are also learning as we help others evolve. It's part of that reflection. There's a saying goes that we teach what we need to learn. You know, I teach mm-hmm. mindfulness. You can understand that I need to, <laughs> yeah. to invest it into my life. So this is the journey. Otherwise, it won't be interesting. So uh, tell me, Ken, from your experience, what are the common mistakes or behaviors of leaders in growing the business? Do you see a pattern? Or- yeah, I, I, I gave a presentation wow, a long time ago, maybe, maybe even almost 10 years ago, which was about the, I think it was about the 10 blind spots that we had neurologically determined for leaders that they were, that they're blind spots and they're the biggest blind spots that need to be dealt with or identified so that leaders can excel. I'll give you the first one that right. I think is just really important, which is uh, many leaders are not actually conscious or aware of how they are received by others, how others feel or how others receive their communication or the way they're demonstrating leadership. They're very much not aware of the impact that they're making. Uh, Many times they overvalue their impact or they undervalue their impact, one one or the other, which both is- is, women uh, and men, right? (laughs) And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, there are many years we talk about feminine, masculine uh, polarities and leadership and how that, that works itself out. And there are lots of differences, but this, I wouldn't necessarily say so, because I think there are, there are certainly, you know, this is an equal opportunity issue, meaning women can also be unaware. Now women on average, are, I think are wired to be more compassionate or more empathic. And so they tend to be wired more about that where men just by our neurochemistry are, they were different, right? We just not as wired. So we have to, we have to work harder at that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the age old, you know, one of my old friends is a John Gray, Dr. John Gray, who wrote the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which is such a great series of books. Mm-hmm. And I read those in my teenage years when I was starting to get into that, you know, that personal development. I didn't even have relationships and I'm reading these books about relationships, so but I got handed- want to go to a relationship right after reading. <laughs> right. I was like, this sounds horrible. My gosh. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'll tell you to this day, I mean, you know, I've, I'm, my wife, uh, who's an amazing, amazing woman and also heavily studied in human potential when I met her very, very heavily studied. And in fact, you know, I use some of those things to today. But one of the things I remember him saying is that uh, men are so immediately in action to solve problems. Mm-hmm. So for example, if, if our, in a relationship, if our wife brings us a problem, the first thing we want to do is solve it. Right. And that of course, usually makes her feeling like she's not being heard and frustrated and I'm not asking you to solve it. And, you know, and, and we miss the communication and then the man gets frustrated and he says, but I'm trying to help you. And she gets frustrated because she's not feeling heard. And that's a little bit how I, I look at leadership. And one of the things that I did is in all these human potential modalities, whether it was around relationships or health or spirituality or consciousness or money or anything, we would take these concepts because they're all human concepts and we would relate them back into entrepreneurship or leadership in organizations, companies, or industries. And so that's a big one is many leaders do not realize how they are being experienced on the other side. And therefore they do things that violate people create cultures that are counterproductive to what they are looking to create. Um, they may think that they're adding massive value to something. So they, you know, they have this sense of that they're doing something of massive value when in actuality, they're adding very little value to something. And so I think that age old idea of getting feedback and listening and having the mindfulness of being able to take on different perspectives. So Ken Wilber, who's one of the top evolutionists in the world, 
and a very, very profound writer on consciousness and, and evolution and human evolution talks about how evolution is really the ability to take on different perspectives. Our maturity, that word maturity from a consciousness level, it's the ability for us to take on different perspectives. And that's essentially what we do. You know, at the very beginning, a, a baby is born, they don't have the the distinction between their mother and themselves, they actually have that distinction as one. They mm -hmm. don't have a distinction, mom and me. And then they create that, that first division, mom, there's mom and there's me. Then they have that second division, there's dad and there's me. And then they start to have different divisions. And those divisions create parts of themselves psychologically, characters, where they start to take on different characters to some point where you can watch Bono on television from U2 and you can say, oh, that can be a character of me. When I go perform on a stage or give a presentation, I can step into Bono. And you start to have all these different perspectives. Well, I think it takes a person looking to evolve and grow to say, I would like to have a better perspective or more perspective, and then actively taking on the idea, the conscious choice to say, what is it like for Jane to be on the other side of my communication when I communicate that? What is it like for Bob to be on the other side of my communication or my leadership when I do this, when I act like that, when I say this? What is it like for them? And most leaders don't do that. They have prided themselves in creating whatever they have created because of their righteousness. And I don't mean that like judgmental righteousness, like they have been right about something. They found a good maybe product to take to the marketplace and that created you know, some growth in a business. And then they decide that they're right about everything and that they must be right. And that's why they got to where they are. And this is a slippery slope. It's a dangerous overlap to think that, that because we created something right in one area, or we did something right in one area, that we are now right in every area. And we lose the power as leaders to achieve when we decide that we're right, uh, really anywhere. My wife and I have launched 40 companies together, independently and together uh, over our lives. And, you know, we may launch a service and, and it goes well and we're, we're cranking and the market's responding and we're making tons of money. But the question might be is maybe we were only partially right. Maybe we could have actually had a even better response. So here at Industry Rockstar and with our students and with each other at the office, we've taken out the concept of right. There is no right. There is no wrong to us here. There is either what's working or not working. And we play potential games in the company, sales games and, and marketing games and human potential games here to say, here's what we're looking to achieve. Did we achieve it? If we did, then whatever we chose achieved it. Doesn't mean it was the right thing. Doesn't mean it was the wrong thing, but it was working. It worked for us. And when we take that concept into even communication with each other, it's not that I'm right, she's wrong, she's right, I'm wrong. It's none of that. It's just, mm -hmm. is that choice going to be the best choice for what is going to work? And then we can go from there. It really changes the ego relationship to leadership. When we take that out, it creates a much more mindful communication among the staff and the customers to the, the company. Couldn't agree with you more because I found in my research the main tool for leaders to lead innovative and creative companies, it's, I call it dialogue spaces. It's actually really yeah. being able to communicate from a deeper place, from being able to put our assumption aside and really listen from an open mind and open heart and open will, right, to what will emerge. And it's not that my, I'm not attached to my assumption or to my belief system or what I bring to the table, but I'm open and we're creating a space to enable the right solution to emerge. This is the crucial element nowadays in leading, communicating. And yeah. I think it starts with ourselves, right? Communicating with ourselves, knowing how to prioritize what's important for us and what's not, and to know to communicate it to the others. So I really agree with you. And you just said something wildly important, which is a space, holding a space. Um, and in fact, we do work with leaders on holding space 
um, and being able to hold. Now, this can be, there's, there's feminine space and masculine space holding. There's different vectors of space holding. And most leaders have no concept this even exists. And what this is why we take- different places? Well, uh, w- without probably g- going too, just because the whole conversation's, you know, probably a good hour or two on itself. Yeah. Um, but let, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the, you know, just holding space. What does holding space mean? So holding space is uh, a way that a human being can create uh, an opportunity for someone to step into. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is that if somebody has emotions, um, you know, many leaders, and I'll, I'll especially say for male leaders, where we're very action-oriented, task-oriented, and I fall into this as well, as, as much work as I have done <laughs> in the world. We yeah, have a you saying, mean at the end of the day. Uh, no? Yeah, exactly. We have a saying in California that says, if you think you're so evolved, go spend a weekend with your parents. Yeah, <laughs> right? with your family. It's, it's true. I mean, I, I love my parents, but my gosh, with the arguments we get into together, it's, it's like, <laughs> Alessia looks at me and she says, it's like, you've never done anything. <laughs> you've never done any, any personal development work. Anyway, so, bottom, you know, huh? Right, exactly. It's it's it, and and that's another thing that we talk about is actually becoming triggerless, which I'm very good if it's not my parents. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know these are all all conversations. So holding space is a is a, an element of a leader's ability to create a safe environment for somebody to engage. Now it's not always emotional, although it can be, and that's very important. A majority of what doesn't work in systems in corporations is that there's a lot of suppression to emotion. There's mm-hmm. a lot of suppression to communication. People don't feel safe, very simply. You know, they, they give up their tactical power. Funny enough, I was never in a corporation. I never worked for anybody. But I have, you know, family members that have been very high-level ranking officers in very large uh, corporations. And their careers have very successful careers, um, but really built out of that world. And when we sit and we talk about it extensively, because, you know, we're family, we have dinners and we talk about their world. It's always been enlightening. And then when I go and I coach and I get to see what's really going on, um, it's fascinating. And the fact is that I always come in from outside of the system. I've never had a corporate job. I never will. Um, I, you know, I, I have no, well, I have no, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and it turns out that having coaches that are from outside the system is more powerful than having coaches inside the system. Because you, we look at the system, we go, whoa, what is that? And with such curiosity that we start to question every facet, every part of the system. And that completely causes the system to start to fall apart when we get in there as a coach. Now, to change a system that is dysfunctional, you do have to break it down, and in which case it becomes a mess. Uh, sometimes people leave. Sometimes it's a big, uh, it, it's a lot of pressure on people. And, that, and then you rebuild the system. Mm-hmm. It is in that deconstruction that most people are not really willing to go. Yeah. And this is why most people don't really have change. They just have a little bit. They take a course. Or they say, oh, I'll try this new technique. If you want to really make a change to a system and have a breakthrough, you need to deconstruct mm-hmm. what has been constructed because it's typically built on years and years and years of faulty construction. So just thinking about like taking apart a building, you're going to take apart a building. You're pretty much going to have to destroy that building. You're going to have mm-hmm. to blow it up and let it crash and crumble to then reconstruct it. And we, the metaphor becomes about ego. And many people or organizations, the fear of we've got something that works. Why are we going to do something that could potentially destroy what we have in order to create something different? And there's fear. What if it doesn't work? And you you go through all these things. And at the end of the day, it becomes a very complex process to change an organization. Now, that's fun for coaches that are up to that challenge. And we are. And that's why we do a lot of that work. But we also love working with small businesses where there's less integrated people in the system and they're faster you know, they're faster to, to turn the corners. Or, exactly. Yeah, they're more agile. Exactly. Because there's less uh, systemic points that we have to change. I agree with you that 
consultant that come from the outside also don't uh, afraid to speak up, to show up, to say what they think because they won't lose their job there, right? They're not on a salary there. And so I think a lot of people are afraid to speak in the corporate world because otherwise they will lose. They have a lot of what to lose. And I think the fact that the consulting comes from the outside and enables space to reflect upon patterns that for them it's an automatic patterns and they didn't think about it. Now, all of that's, I would agree 100%. And, and the first thing you said, which is so true, is that you've got someone that comes in from outside of the space and they don't have anything to lose. Yeah. Um, the best coaches for organizations, if, ever, if anybody's ever thinking about taking on a coach, is somebody who is busy. Like they, they've got, and I don't mean busy, like just busy, 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 but someone who has other clients. So they have no attachment or somebody who has really done the work to become unattached, even if it's their one, one client. In our 20s, I did a lot of work with organizations myself, like on myself, around becoming unattached, not disconnected, but unattached mm-hmm. so that we could play games and go for, for achievement without being attached to the result, playing to win, but unattached. And a coach that can do that, come into an organization and says, look, I don't care whether you fire me or eject me from this. I don't care. It's different than the people in the system that are feeding In fact, one of the things we say is that to have a powerful coaching relationship, the person that you're coaching cannot be reliant upon you. They can't rely upon you for sustenance, meaning the money that they're earning, or sex. In other words, they cannot be in a a, a relationship with you because Mm -hmm. there's too much at stake for them to deconstruct and destroy what they have. It takes a very special human being to be relying on somebody else for sustenance or sex and then be willing to throw all that out right? It's a very unique individual. And that's not typically who corporations are. That's right. Ken, I know that you travel uh, worldwide and you lecture and uh, at conferences. You meet a lot of interesting people along the way. Oh, Can yeah. You share any- like you. Thank you. <laughs> you share an impactful tip or sentence that you heard from someone and it's resonated within you that you took for life, you know, well, um, yeah, well, you know, so the, the one that comes to mind when you say that is, uh, you know, we, we did a number of years of work with Richard Branson from uh, Virgin, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a very, very well-known CEO and, and business owner and entrepreneur, a great person, uh, lovely gentleman actually off the cameras as well. And he used to say to us that if you're not living on the edge, you're just taking up space. Uh-huh. Um, space, huh? <laughs> Yeah, you just well, yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> that could be looked at. Now, I looked at that a little bit more on the surface, which is if you're not actually pushing the edges, you're just yeah. kind of taking up space on the planet. Yes, the the idea of space that we talked about earlier. Is so, if you're taking space, show up and there. Right? <laughs> exactly, that's a good way of looking at it too. If you're gonna take space, like take it right and do something with it. But he's really a person who likes to live on the edge. And what I loved about that with Richard is that he's actually quite humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was raised as a proper, he calls himself a proper English lad. You know, he, he tells some great stories about when he was a child and he used to ever say anything mean about somebody else. His parents used to make him stand in front of the mirror and look at himself because they would say that if you say bad things about other people, it's a reflection of yourself. So they'd make him stand in front of the mirror for, wow. you know, 10 minutes and just look at himself. And he hated it uh, at that age. So he learned very quickly to, you know, not be judging other people or casting uh, negative comments about others. And so what I love about him is he's quite humble. He's quite uh, respectful. And yet he likes to live on the edge. And I think that those those two things put together is a really sweet combination for a human being. I'm obviously American, you know, I'm sort of half American, half European. I spent most of my half of my life from the time I was 10 years old getting educated over in Europe and and coming back to the States. But I am American by, by birth. And of course, we have a very complex uh, let's say a government with, um, with you know, it's not a humble government here. <laughs> Americans are not known as a, a humble <laughs> culture. Understatement, yeah. <laughs> yeah, understatement. But, uh, but, but, you know, because I've had so much uh, of that exposure to leaders uh, in Europe and entrepreneurs in Europe, which I, which I love that humility, you know, it's all great, right? It, it, it provides interesting 
a character for everything. But what we get with, with the American leaders is one interesting thing. What we get with European leaders, what we get with Asian leaders, Australia, every leader across the world, Africa, South America, I could go on, you know, Middle East, Israel. It's all very interesting and it's great to learn from everybody is the way we look at it. And before we wrap up, do you have a tip that you can give the listeners, whoever wants to grow his own business or leaders in the corporate world, whatever comes to your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, there's a lot, right? I mean, we could there's there's a there's an infinite amount of tips I can give. If I wanted to represent, and this might be a reminder, but if I want to represent something, is become become someone who is passionate about understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that actually a lot of people have become complacent. They feel like they're happy, they're good enough, or they're just okay. And unfortunately, I think that human beings respond mostly from pain. So when they get into trouble, they go looking for solutions. And I find that that to be an unfortunate design of humanity that we typically have to hit rock bottom. You know, my wife and I have a practice where we continue to evolve good things to great and great things to extraordinary and extraordinary things to amazing and amazing, you know, just go on and keep going, right? Whatever the the words we would use. So for our relationship, we have an amazing relationship. And every year we take on coaches and we keep doing exercises to continue to deepen and, and move it forward. And I feel like humanity has this pattern of moving two steps forward and one or two steps back. And then when they get back, they find an advisor, mentor, a coach, a, a spiritual advisor, whatever. And then they go two steps forward and then they, they get comfortable and they, they fall back. And this is a lot of the, the design of humanity is a couple steps forward, get comfortable, fall back into a hole. A couple steps forward, get comfortable. And I think that's, that is a cycle that has to be broken. Mm-hmm. And so my recommendation would be is break that cycle this year, continue to work on yourself from, you know, if you're in a trouble spot in that area, sure, take that on. But if you're in a good spot in that area, take it on. If you're, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty physically fit. We work out almost on a daily basis. We have a gym in our, in our house. And yet we still bring in a trainer and we say, what can I learn? I was, a, I was a certified personal trainer in college at about 18, 19 years old. And yet every year I still have nutritionist trainers, people that work with me on my health, on my systems and my, on my athletics, because we are always able to take it to the next level. And uh, I, I don't know if it's Einstein or someone who said, as soon as we stop learning, we, we start dying. And that's a, how I experience a lot of humanity is where, where a lot of people die at 20 years old or 25 years old, and then they get buried at 80 years old. And in between, they just had their, they just took up space. <laughs> so if I wanted to give one tip that I tell people over the world is an advisor on our team named Les Brown. He is uh, one of the world's, considered one of the world's top presenters and speakers. He's been speaking for 50 years around the world, speaking to, spoken to audiences, 50,000 plus. And he advises our students and us on presentation and speaking and how to dynamically give your message. And he has a quote that I will leave you with here, which is, you got to be hungry. <laughs> and that idea of you got to be hungry, which is the same thing that Steve Jobs said, is always be hungry. Mm-hmm. Always keep learning, always keep going. I think that the greatest minds, as they near the end of their lives and they look backwards, they say, the best thing I did for myself was continue to grow from good to great, great to extraordinary, extraordinary to amazing, amazing to superb. And, and they just never stopped. They didn't wait for crisis to mm-hmm. propel them forward to grow. Kane, wow, this was really inspiring. Thank you for this positive and energized tips that you gave us. And uh, yes, I agree with you. And this is why... We feel your passion when you're speaking and you're lecturing and you're teaching because it comes within you. So it's amazing to see it and it's really inspiring. So thank you for being with me today. You got it. Thanks for having me. This was Kay Minkos. Hope you enjoyed our conversation and you were inspired as much as I did. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast, Mind Your Leadership, in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.